Greetings, fellow Bitcoiners. You've just entered the Orange Pill Academy, where we help elevate you into an eloquent and compelling ambassador for the bright orange future. Today, I'm joined by Stephen Lubka, Sun Maxer, Step Master, and Jefferson Curl Enjoyer. Stephen literally spends 30 hours a week, at least, helping pre-coiners understand and engage with the hardest money the world has ever known. In this episode, we explore the two essential tasks of a Bitcoin conversation. These are the 80-20 tasks of being successful. We also talk about why arguing someone into submission never, ever works. We talk about a huge orange-pilling mistake most Bitcoiners make that has major negative ripple effects. Don't do this. We also discuss how to avoid sending someone on the road to crypto and much, much more. Thank you for being here. Now, listen up. Class is in session. Steven Lubka, welcome to the Orange Pill Academy. Happy to be here, man. Excited to do this. Yeah, I'm delighted to have you here. You are someone who I think minute for minute, day for day, does more active orange pilling than anyone else I may know. So I'm delighted to have you sharing some of that knowledge, having a look at the work that that I've done so far with other guests to build out orange pilling framework and take it to the woodshed. But before we get into all that stuff, for any listeners that aren't familiar with you as a Bitcoiner, who are you? What do you do? Yeah, so I lead the private wealth team for SWAN. That's our concierge, high net worth consulting and service team. So we work directly with high net worth investors, family offices, business owners, you name it. And that segment is looking for a lot of personalized, hands-on, we're on the phone, walking each person through just one step at a time. So your earlier statement is probably accurate, at least statistically. I probably spend 30 hours a week on the phone, orange pilling people five days a week or more for the last three years. So it's a lot of hours, a lot of sats stacked. So I have a lot of reps into this thing by virtue of, of my job and my role, which I'm always just very wake up, very grateful to have. And yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of, I think there's nuance that isn't commonly captured. I think there's right and wrong ways to do it. I, there's definitely choices and styles that you make in orange pilling that I don't see discussed enough. There's a lot of discussion around, call it like the content, like the argument you're making of here's why Bitcoin's good at this. And that's great. Like you need that content, but I see much less of a discussion around when to make certain arguments versus others, how to deliver that message, how to have that conversation, if it varies depending on your segment and et cetera, right? So I think there's, it's a rich topic and I think a really a conversation I'm passionate about and excited to have. One of the things that just occurs to me as you say that is the influence of social media on the very concept of conversation, which up until about 10 years ago was essentially a back and forth real-time dialogue. And so much of the way that we communicate nowadays with the influence of social media is one-way conversation from a, in terms of posting or content creation, like I'm gonna make a TikTok video 
and I'm going to put it out there. Yes. And so not having to respond in real time, not even in a way, not even having the mechanism for, I guess, empathizing with whomever happens to be listening because it's a one to many sort of thing. So there is I, one of the things I really want to focus on with this whole project is the art of in-person conversation or at least synchronous conversation. A lot of orange pilling happens in, in your text uh, app, your text messages, <laughs> right? <laughs> they may not happen face to face. How have you, I'm just curious, I'd love to hear a little bit about your orange pilling process and especially how you've seen it change since you got into Bitcoin, because there probably weren't a lot of people like Stephen Lubka on the phone back when you first got into Bitcoin and had a whole bunch of questions and were trying to get some answers. There wasn't nearly as much handholding. So how did you get that fire lit and what sort of changes in the landscape have you seen since then? Yeah, honestly, I would say it took me two years to fully become orange-pilled. And what do I mean by that? When I first got into Bitcoin, it was very early 2017, prior to the bull run. Not that I bought enough. Nobody does. Took me a while to build conviction. But I saw it as a technology. My, the primary way I related to Bitcoin was as a technology. Here's this interesting new payment network. I thought of it as a payment network. The store of value thing didn't even immediately click for me. I was like, that's a lame answer. Like, why should Bitcoin have value? Because it stores value. And that sounded very circular to me. That sounded very tautological. And I thought it was a weak answer. And so I thought, no, it makes sense that Bitcoin has value, but it's not this circular reasoning. It's the payment properties and everything. And that's a quick road to get interested in crypto. And that's a quick road to get interested in shit coins because like you're missing something. And that's what happened for me. Probably about two years later. And the reason I didn't get it is because I had a technical background, but I didn't have an economic background. I didn't understand finance and money and economics sufficiently. And later, um, I did a deeper dive on that and educated myself more on economics. And suddenly it was like a light bulb went off and I was like, oh my God, there's actually a problem with the money and Bitcoin fixes that. And that was not immediately apparent to me. And I think was not presented in that monetary way as much in 2017. I think there was more of a network, technical, the fork wars hadn't been fought yet. There was still, no, it's cash, it's payments. It's no, it's a store of value, right? So it makes sense why I didn't immediately go there. I think a lot of those arguments, some people were making them for sure. I'm not saying nobody did. Those arguments were made as early as the beginning, but they were much less part of the the common discourse, I think, at least what made it to me as a newcomer. And yeah, uh, once that clicked for me, I uh, suddenly understood the magnitude of what Bitcoin is and was, right? It, it went from like, a, here's a cool thing that I want to invest in to, oh, wow, this solves a problem for the world. So there are two really interesting things that stood out to me before I ask my next question about that. One is you said you're missing something, or you said you were missing something, and that is a quick road to crypto and to shitcoins, which Im implies that a not rounded understanding of Bitcoin, it, it's like 
bad orange pilling is worse than no orange pilling mm. at all. I would agree. That's a hot take. And I've seen this. I've seen this. I think a lot of what drives people to crypto is bad orange pilling or incomplete orange pilling or just an incomplete understanding of Bitcoin, right? Like I, when I, I've seen this play out and I've seen it in kind of groups of people that are interested in crypto and there's usually a very poor understanding of Bitcoin. The number of people I've met that have a really robust understanding of Bitcoin and still are predominantly into crypto is very small. There's a few, there's a few. Like I, I would disagree with people that says anybody, like nobody understands Bitcoin and doesn't like whatever. There's a handful of people, but it's very small. I think the vast majority of people I know that are into crypto and do this sort of things, like their Bitcoin knowledge is weak. It's quite weak. The other thing that really stuck out to me is you said there's a problem with the money. Yeah. And that was some, that was what kind of really made it click to you, which it stands out to me because from a strategic point of view for orange pilling people, you can't really make a compelling argument for Bitcoin until you've made a compelling argument for some legitimate problem that it solves. Yes, exactly. And a lot of people want to talk about Bitcoin right out of the gate. So Clay Christensen has one of my favorite quotes. A question is a place in the mind where answers fit. Yeah. And if there's no question there, then you can get answers all day and they'll just bounce off because yeah. there's no place for those answers to fit. And so that concept of the money being broke. You see this in people at very early stages of understanding Bitcoin. One of the biggest questions that come up, you can see this in no coiners, right? So you can see this in like uh, journalists, second, et cetera. And what problem does it solve? It's a solution in search of a problem, right? And, and that's if those are your assumptions, if those are your priors, then that's relatively rational, right? Let's be clear. If that is how you view the world and you do not believe there is a problem with the money, yeah, well, Bitcoin doesn't make any sense, right? It's a rational conclusion to feel that way. And you're not going to, you're not going to, convince that person by talking about how great Bitcoin is, there's a there's an incompatibility on our assessment of the landscape and the current state of money and uh, the role it plays. And you need to really get Bitcoin from, and this is like what happened to me, to go from here's a cool, interesting payment system. Yeah, maybe it can move money overseas faster. Or if you live in a country with a very poor monetary system, sure. Maybe they could benefit from some Bitcoin, but it's a relatively frivolous, like it's a weak stance. And the way you get from that to Bitcoin matters, Bitcoin is important and Bitcoin solves problems is identifying the problems that Bitcoin solves and being clear that they are problems. Yeah, I think, and that that's going to tie in very closely to something I want to get to in a little bit called the jobs to be done framework around this. I want to just go back and quickly define or have you define something for me. And that is, what does it mean to really take the orange pill? What would you say is the difference between a pre-coiner and an orange pilled person? I honestly, I'll, I'll go back to what I just said a little bit. I think it is somebody who Bitcoin is no longer just an investment. It's not just a hey, 
I have reason to believe that the price of this asset is going to increase over time, and so I'm going to buy some. The person that buys Bitcoin for that reason is not orange-pilled, right? They're not. They may own Bitcoin, but they're not orange-pilled. They may think the price of Bitcoin is going to go up, but they're not orange-pilled. To be orange-pilled in my book doesn't mean anything more, but certainly means nothing less than to fundamentally believe that Bitcoin has the capacity to solve at least one meaningful problem for modern civilization. You can pick which problem that is. It could be energy stuff. It could be money stuff. It could be censorship stuff, privacy stuff. I'm not here to tell you which one has to be the most important or which ones feel unimportant to you or you don't agree with or if you agree with all of them. But to be orange-pilled is to believe independent of asset appreciation and your portfolio or your speculation on the price of Bitcoin, that Bitcoin is good. It is fundamentally good and it fundamentally at least has the capacity to solve a problem. And I think someone who sees Bitcoin like that, you can call them orange-pilled. I love that definition. I really love it. I'm going to add that to the sort of salient features of what it means to be orange-pilled. I have two more. I'd love to just see what your take is yeah. on these. I think number one, someone who's taken the orange pill has now a burning curiosity about Bitcoin. There's yeah. something about that, that unquenchable thirst for knowledge about this thing that seems to, they've discovered that there is a rabbit hole. They're like, oh, wow, how deep does this go? That's one. And then the I second- I would disagree there. Okay. I people- who I would consider orange pill. They're like die hard. They love Bitcoin. They've got a huge amount of their net worth in Bitcoin. They think Bitcoin's the answer. They don't give a shit. They don't watch podcasts. They don't read stuff. They don't like, they've just made up their mind. It's almost like a pleb mentality. It's like orange coin, good. I don't care. I don't need to read this think boy crap. Orange coin, good. Interesting. And those people are orange pilled. Like you don't have to devote all of this like kind of cognitive energy to like, understanding it on this really granular level. I think some people, you make the argument sufficiently to them and there's a point they cross where they're like, okay, I believe that. I'm going to go on in my life and I'm going to keep stacking Bitcoin. Interesting. Like what percentage of Bitcoiners have you seen where this is a phenomenon? Rough. They're not on Twitter. They're not on Twitter. That's, yeah, they're not the people like we're interacting with. They're just normal people, like just normal friends of mine, like normal world friends that just, I've talked to them about Bitcoin. They believe me. They agree with me. They buy Bitcoin. They never read a Bitcoin thing in their life. They've never watched YouTube in their life. Interesting. Uh, they never went through the listening to all the podcasts phase. No, no. I think, and that's where you almost could get to this definition of almost like a, a virulent orange pill. So this is someone who has been orange pilled and who is going to spread that versus right. someone who is orange pilled and is non-infectious saying it. Like those people are generally not like orange pilling other people. They're not proselytizing. That may be a kinder way to, to phrase that. And I think there's a kind of a different category of person who is, they're on a mission. They're like, oh my God, I need to like actually devote energy to expanding this thing. And that's a different sort of person. Those are the ones I'm interested in, the, yeah. the infectious types. Yeah. All right. The second one for me is, and I guess this really gets more to the virulent type, is that they've begun this process of 
disintegrating their worldview a little bit and reorienting it around sound money as a sort of foundation for civilization. And again, to your earlier comment, this may not apply to everyone that, that, that believes in Bitcoin, like by your definition, like they've agreed that it solves some problem with the world. But I see over and over, certainly the proselytizers feel like you hear this all the time. Bitcoin was the thing that started peeling back the onion for me on all the other aspects of life. Right. Let's talk about the process itself. Yeah. You've certainly orange-pilled hundreds, if not thousands of people through your Twitter. And I know you were very active on what's the place where people used to talk? Clubhouse. Clubhouse. That was a moment in time. You had really to be was. there. COVID lockdown, Bitcoin Clubhouse will never reemerge and was a very interesting party for a limited amount of time while they took away everybody's freedom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm curious if what sort of patterns you've noticed to this process. So let me take a couple minutes and just lay out what, what I've seen so far. And after talking with a few other people on this show, what's starting to emerge. And then I'd love to have you just rip it apart and tell me what you've noticed as well. So I think the process of orange pilling someone, I'm really talking about this kind of from the perspective of a person being orange pilled, right? Like the sort of stages that they would go through to a certain degree. And it's not entirely linear, but it feels that way. Phase one is like signaling. You're subtly letting your circle know that you're the Bitcoin person. And, and then I've got some arenas within each of these, right? Phase two is about discovery, where you're getting to know each other and removing stranger danger. And that's not really about Bitcoin as much as it's about you. Mm -hmm. Phase three is persuasion, where you're really engaging in the kind of dialogue, discussing the merits of Bitcoin. And then phase four is action, where they're doing something probably easy and harmless at the outset, but they're moving forward in some way in the world to, well, I don't know, to get some Bitcoin or something like that. Within the signaling, so those are the four stages. I don't know if you have any quick reactions before I break down each one a little bit. No, I think that makes sense. I think my first reaction is I probably don't do a lot of the first two. I'm very much the sort of person that like people that don't already know me and what I do and what I'm about, like I'm generally not initiating those conversations. I think that's the only thing I'd add there is like sometimes people come to me and ask them usually when price is rising, but, but that sounds so that sounds like structurally accurate. So you probably are signaling if people are coming to you. Okay. Right? I get it. Okay. You might not be actively, let's say, consciously and proactively doing it. It's by nature of you living life as a Bitcoiner, right? Yeah. So I think within the signaling stage, there are three ways to, to accomplish that. There's either subtle comments, like these little short comments or posts about Bitcoin to signal your interest and expertise, almost offhand. Yeah. Even jokes, right? Not intended to spark a conversation, but just right. like dropping little seeds. If there's like apparel and swag, if you've got a Bitcoin hat or a Bitcoin shirt or something, or sticker on your laptop. And then there's just actual posting on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Facebook, whatever your posting platforms of choice are. And so that signals to people, ah, this person's interested in Bitcoin when the price starts to rise or when it strikes my interest, maybe I'll ask them something. The discovery phase, which you probably do a little bit of, 
in your initial conversations. Someone calls you up, right? There's establishing rapport and there's asking questions. Establishing yeah. rapport is just sharing information about yourself, finding some common interests, helping to put them at ease and let them know you're not like an ax murderer. And then asking questions is where you're trying to uncover their pains and gains. Why is Bitcoin of, of interest to them? What challenges are they looking to overcome in their life, right? And then there's persuasion, which is the real, okay, let's talk about Bitcoin now. So there's telling stories, there's explaining concepts, and there's handling objections, right? Yeah. Stories are gonna be scenarios a person can project themselves into and say, oh, that seems familiar to me. I can relate to that. Explaining concepts is really getting into the, the nitty gritty of Bitcoin or the economic things surrounding it. And then handling objections is if obviously they say, I don't necessarily agree with that. Or I heard there was another crypto coin that sends things faster. And then the last bit action is just giving them something to do next. In your case, professionally speaking, that's often let's set up an account. Let's buy some Bitcoin. It could be also just doing research. Hey, here's some podcasts to listen to, or here's a blog you should really check out. It could be joining the community like sending somebody to Twitter. Oh, that's where this is really where the conversation's happening. If you want to talk to more people, you should check that out. And then using Bitcoin itself. Oh, here's a free wallet. Download it. I'll send you $5. And then now you got some skin in the game, right? So what do you think of that? I'll shut up and let you just go where you want. Yeah, so that makes sense. I think the things that come to mind for me are Nobody wants to be sold anything and nobody wants to be convinced of anything. I lean towards being, I like one to many. So posting on social media, I think that's great because it's not targeted at the individual. You're not trying to convince Joe because Joe doesn't want to be sat down and like convinced about anything. Joe's got his own life. He's got his own concerns. He's got to pay the mortgage. He's got to do whatever. Doesn't want to spend an hour trying to have something crammed down his throat. So posting on social media, I think, is a good way to put yourself out there, write some stuff, talk about why it matters to you. It opens the door for someone to engage you. Like, I want people to engage me. I don't want to engage other people. I want them to come to me with uh, curiosity or something like that. I, can also, I, I liked what you said about kind of apparel and stuff. It's more effective during the bull run. Actually, when I got going and started trying to work in Bitcoin, I literally bought a shirt that said, ask me about Bitcoin. I wore it and I just walked around my downtown area for hours at a time for weeks. And I would have 10 or 15 conversations a day. Like people Seriously? just, yeah, yeah. People just walked up to me and wanted to talk about it. It was awesome. I, I made client, I met clients that way. I did also like meaningful interactions, but Bitcoin was like 17,000, right? In 2017, right? So during kind of periods of media hype and everything, right. like, Heat yeah. attention. Yeah. Yeah. Rock some Bitcoin stuff. Go out in your physical community and have conversations. People will engage you. They'll initiate. But so I think it's just put stuff out there. Don't drill into people is personally what I do. I'm not saying that's the only way, but it's how I operate and what I think works well. There was a, there was an episode of, what was that show with Andy Samberg as the cop? Oh, just in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah. Where he was undercover and, and he was talking with someone on the phone and they said, are you sure they haven't spotted you? And he said, 
hang on a second. This takes place in New York. Anyone in New York or major metropolitan area is going to get this. It says, hang on a second. And he's on a street corner and he walks up to someone and says, pardon me, do you have a moment to talk about saving the environment? And everyone just walks right by me. No one even notices me. Because that, that's the typical reaction to any kind of a proselytizer, right? Is it like, hey, can I talk to you about this? Hey, do you have a minute for X? Yeah. And they just, we've become so immune to the just relentless uh, demand for our attention in person that it's so off-putting now. Exactly. No one wants it. You're walking down the street, somebody tries to hand you a pamphlet or do something. You do not care. It doesn't, just no interest. It's about, you want to get them to come to you. You want to put out compelling, engaging content. You want to share something that sparks a conversation. Offhanded comments or jokes, I think, are fine. Someone says something, oh, Bitcoin fixes this. And if they engage you, great. And if they don't engage you, drop it, right? That's the sort of thing. You need to make them feel like they came to you. Like, if you can do a little bit and still create that experience, I think that's fine. But it's making them feel like they come to you. And I think that's important. It's when... You get to the stage that you're actually having a conversation. That's the substance, right? That's where the real art comes in. Trying to build a process around how to get people from a cold start wanting to talk to you about Bitcoin. That's just not the way. That's not the way. It is very hard. This is something I've even learned at my job. It is enormously challenging to try to take someone from zero, like just completely uninterested in Bitcoin. And what can you do to change that? There's very little, unless there's someone that just naturally would be interested in Bitcoin anyways, because they're part of a certain personality or values constellation. But you're just, you can't do it. Like they need to tell me the number of people you can think of who got orange pilled because somebody like knocked on their door metaphorically, like outreach to them. No, they had a trusted friend. There was a close friend who said, hey, you really should look into this. That's almost always how it's, it's a warm, trusted person in your life who you respect for other reasons, who tells you, hey, you really should check out this Bitcoin thing. That is most orange pill stories. And the only There's that. And then the only other major way is like they saw an interview with Sailor or they saw an interview with somebody that signaled credibility to them, that signaled this is somebody that's worth listening to. And they thought, okay, interesting. Now I'm going to do some research. Right. And it just got them that initial spark. Like you can't make that happen for somebody, at least generally, uh, unless they were just like somebody that was just like ready for it. So, so that's, that's why important. I think those first two stages are so important, right? Yeah. The signaling and the discovery is it's really a farmer versus a hunter mentality. You don't want to think of it like a hunter where you're going out to find someone and sure their attention and, and wrestle them to the ground. You have to plant seeds. You have to water those seeds and just give them the space to, for that interest to bloom in its own time. And when they come to you, you have to establish that rapport, remove the stranger danger. That's like you said, it's usually somebody that already knows you, right? And you then you have to, you don't start by talking about Bitcoin. You ask them, tell me why it is that you're interested. What are you hoping Bitcoin might do for you? Is there something you're doing already that you think Bitcoin could do a better job of, right? And so that gets to like what I think is the really critical part and is the part that I feel I have more to share on. 
And so it's like, how do you have that? What, what is the best way to have that conversation? You have somebody that's ready to talk to you about Bitcoin. Okay, how? How do you do that? And so let me say the number one thing that I think people get wrong. Do not pitch Bitcoin. Do not explain Bitcoin. Do not present Bitcoin in the way that makes the most sense for you. Present it in the way that you think will make the most sense for them. They care about different things than you do. They have different values. They have different concerns. They have different ways of seeing the world, at least to some degree. And your pitch, your explanation, it should be tailored to that person. Example, if I'm talking to a 70-year-old retiree who would like some Bitcoin in their portfolio because they're concerned about money printing, it would be inappropriate for me to spend an hour telling them about how if the U.S. government just totally bans Bitcoin, don't worry, you can move to El Salvador. You can just move and you can take your coins with you and like game theory, bro, like the network's just going to keep operating and different countries will arbitrage it. Yeah, say goodbye to your kids and family, but it's really nice down in El Salvador, my man. Like terrible, like worst possible way to go about that. So what do you do instead? If you're talking to a 70-year-old retiree that's trying to hedge their retirement portfolio, it's Here's all the reasons I think it's extremely unlikely that would ever happen. Extremely unlikely that the US would ever ban Bitcoin. Here's the defenses against that. Here's the game theory. Here's the reasons why you won't need to move to El Salvador. That's the way you connect with that person. You need to speak to them. You need to speak to their concerns. People are into Bitcoin for different reasons. People value Bitcoin for different reasons. Bitcoin is meaningful and resonant with people for different reasons. And you need to have a sense of that. You need to intuit that. You need to know how to present Bitcoin to another mind, the way that it might click there. It's not about assuming everyone is the same as you. It's not about presenting it in the same thing that made the light bulb click for you. It will be totally different for others. Make Look no further than like, we have like, absolute hard-nosed libertarians, and we have dyed-in-the-wool progressives that are both passionate Bitcoiners right now. I guarantee you they like it for different reasons. I guarantee you different arguments made sense for different reasons, and, and, they, and then they chose different arguments. Like, we're not at this like early stage where it's just, there's a lot of homogeneity in who Bitcoiners are. Bitcoiners are very broad now, and you need to be prepared to speak to that. You need to inhabit the mind of the other. You can't just be coming from your perspective. I think more than any other skill in being successful at orange pilling is empathy. The ability to see the world through another person's eyes, understand what matters to them, what's their sort of hierarchy of values. And until you really understand that, the word Bitcoin probably shouldn't pass your lips. What are some other lessons that you have or experiences when it comes to that conversation? So if that's lesson number one, right? Start by understanding who it is you're talking to and what matters to them. What's lesson two, three, or four? The thing that has to happen is emotional and or value resonance. You need to evoke something within this person 
that transcends economic self-interest. You're not going to get this person. And it goes back to my definition of orange pilled, like someone who is orange pilled. It's not just a, yeah, let me put 1% of my portfolio in Bitcoin because of the sharp ratio. You know what I mean? That's fine. You can have that conversation on the portfolio construction and some people will be interested in that. But they're not orange pilled. And if we're talking about orange pilling people, it's not sufficient. So if we're not, if our kind of yardstick is getting past this sort of just like economic self-interest, like the only reason you own this thing is because you think it'll go up in value. Okay, so how do you get past that? You have to strike a chord in their, in their value structure, in their kind of their heart, their emotional center, their, the way they care about the world, the way they care about their family, the way they look at society, like what they want to see more of in the world, what they want to see less of in the world. Like you need to speak to something like that that Bitcoin will reduce something that they find bad, that will increase something that they find good, that will empower them to do something that they value, to care for others, to protect their future. But, but it, it has to transcend them. It has to, you have to trigger, I think in the vast majority of people, something which transcends self-interest period like it has to be about others it has to be about society it has to be about the future it has to be about culture they have to think that sure it's not unimportant like everyone wants to make money and i'm not denigrating that and we all make investments and we all want our investments to do well and we want to be able to live a comfortable life and do the things we want to do right there's nothing wrong with that i'm not criticizing that but in order to really get bitcoin and to be really orange-pilled, I, I think you have to believe that Bitcoin serves some higher purpose than just your own personal wants and desires. Otherwise, it's just this, okay, it's just this thing. And yeah, maybe you buy some and you hold it, whatever. But the moment you can understand that in engaging with Bitcoin, you're not just helping yourself, you're helping at least someone else or, or maybe a group of people or maybe the whole of society. And when that clicks, when there is an honest appreciation, an actual understanding of that, the lights come on. It's, oh, this is important. Bitcoin matters. Bitcoin has significance. And if I care about these challenges in the world, I care about these problems, Bitcoin is one small step or one large step, depending on what we're talking about, towards fixing that. And I can now get my whole self behind this thing. There's a concept in the product world called the job to be done. Um, and people who are designing products think about whoever our customer is, they're trying to accomplish something in life. There's some problem they're facing. And they will hire our product yeah. to do that job for them. The classic example is I hire a quarter inch drill because I want a quarter inch hole and I want a quarter inch hole so that I can hang up a picture and I want to hang up a picture because it's of my grandchildren and I want to see my grandchildren because it reminds me of what's important to me. And I want to be reminded of what's important to me so that I can write in it like, 
it goes on and on. You can trace this chain of why we do things. They call it asking five whys, right? And I've seen a few trends, let's, let's call them patterns, emerging in this space where people are choosing to interact with Bitcoin for, let's call it trans-monetary reasons, yeah. like above money, higher than money. Oh, exactly. I don't want to say non-monetary, but the money is a means to a higher Precisely. end goal, yeah. right? Precisely. And I I think, dominant. That's the dominant trend. What's the saying? Fix the money, fix the world. Right. Fix the money so that we fix the world. What's fix the world? It's higher than fix the money. Fix the money is a means to fixing the world, right? Like I think for the vast majority of Bitcoiners, that is it. That's the thing. It's Bitcoin is just the most effective or most probable tool that we have to achieve some other end. And I think a lot of Bitcoiners are, they're smart. They are often articulate and they are conscientious. And so they, at least the ones that I interact with on Twitter, right? And the, that itself is a sort of self-selecting mechanism, right? But there's this sense that I'm going to make my case. I'm going to argue someone into submission about why this is right or wrong. And it goes backwards. In the sales world, there's emotions come first and logic comes second. We make decisions emotionally and then we 100%. use our reason to justify those decisions. 100%. So the first I, thing you have to do is understand what's driving someone emotionally, whether that's improving the environment, whether that's maybe like a, a fear of authoritarian governments or tired of international wars. I've seen a lot of uh, patterns lately around people living their faith because Bitcoin seems like a money that's actually aligned with whether it's Islam or Christianity or something that they believe in. That this, if they feel like now I can interact with a money that actually doesn't make me feel icky inside. So find that and work from there. Anything else you want to say on the whole just general conversation, like the in-the-moment conversations around Bitcoin? If you do those two things well, you're golden. If you don't do those two things well, it doesn't matter what else you did. That's, that's the 80-20 of it. Like we Fair could, enough. there's a bunch else to talk about, but it's the minor details the bulk of it is if you can explain Bitcoin in a way that's tailored for the person you're talking to and not yourself, and you can explain it in a way that energizes their values, that, that resonates in their value structure, and they can walk away feeling like Bitcoin makes the world better as that person sees better or worse. If Bitcoin goes to the better camp of, okay, Bitcoin promotes the good things that I value and it diminishes and or diminishes the bad things I don't like. You did it. You did it. The rest of it is technical. It's what is the accurate way to describe inflation? Like how do you, can you present the protocol easily in a way that makes sense? Do you have a good answer? It, but that's just literally, do you have the right words in the right order to certain questions? That's a technical thing. Like it's very easy to, to say a different sentence. And if you're struggling to explain how is it that the network operates or why should, big, how does money have value? Like what, how, how does people giving something value give it value, right? There's a million great answers to those questions strewn all over the internet that Bitcoiners have taken countless hours to write. That's just a matter of reading and understanding. That's not the skill. That isn't the skill. That is just the content. 
And yeah, if you have bad content, you're not going to orange pill someone either, but you can just go and get good content. It's all over the place. Look at the way that people have answered that question. But that's the, I view that as the minority factor. And the majority factor is, can you select the right content to make it make sense to the person you're talking to? And can you do it in such a way that they walk away inspired that Bitcoin does something good for the world? If you do that, you've succeeded. I think you've hit the nail on the head about the essence of orange pilling, right? Is can we find a way to light that fire of curiosity around how Bitcoin solves some problem yeah. that is meaningful to that person's value structure? And then at that point, the, the action stage takes care of itself. They've got a question that they're trying to answer. And now you've got someone who's interested and you send them the right links to the right things. And then now you're their Bitcoin guy or gal, and they can come to you for future questions as they continue to go down that rabbit hole. I think that's probably a great place to wrap it up. Stephen, if people want to learn more about you and consume more of your wisdom and insight, what's the best place for people to go to find out who you are and how to follow you? Yeah, so definitely follow me on Twitter, just Stephen Lupka. That's Stephen with a V, L-U-B-K-A. Give me a follow on there. I'm posting all the time. Love engaging. If you have questions, just comment or DM me. I work at Swan Bitcoin. Check out swan.com slash private for my team and, and what we do over there. But uh, yeah, love to connect and always happy to answer any questions. I have one last thing. So there is a, there's a third thing. There's a third thing that I would say. Um, do not select the most exaggerated and extreme arguments. Do not talk about why Bitcoin's gonna eat all the money in the world and how we're gonna all use Bitcoin. Do not come off as understand the frame in which the average person is inhabiting. And you can push the boundary of that, but don't be all the way over here. Like you come off as, regardless of whether you think those things are true, you need to communicate in such a way that builds credibility and builds trust. And imagine if somebody came up to me and they're like, Stephen, you've got to learn about this thing. It's this brand new thing you've never heard of. It's this internet coin. And it's going to be worth $50 million soon because the government's going to destroy everything you care about. <laughs> red flag alert. You know what I mean? Like red flag. I, I just like yeah. my heuristics are firing. Like This person doesn't know how to parse information. Like I'm not, I, I can't rely on their way of slicing stuff up. Be undershoot, don't overshoot. Like you should be having this conversation in a way which downplays things which seem incredulous and has a lot of humility. And the more you play up, don't diminish uncertainty. Don't make things seem, yeah, it's just a given. This is just pre-programmed. It's just bound to happen. You can bet on it. Be like signal intellectual humility. Like, what does that mean? It means this is what I believe. And I think it's highly probable that this happens. None of us know the future. When I look at my money, I'm willing to take a bet on this. And you don't have to go all in or you don't even have to do a lot in, but I think the average person should at least have 1%. What is it going to cost you to have 1%? And actually, statistically, 
We've done the math and 1% will actually lower the volatility in your portfolio. So even if you don't agree with me on all of this stuff, the right answer isn't zero. So get a little bit or buy a hundred bucks and check out a wallet and see if this is something that's interested to you or don't trust me. Do your own research. I, I'm confident enough in what this thing is that if you go out there and spend your own time looking into it, I expect you'll agree with me on most things. Like that is the way. Like that is the way. Don't come off like a bull in a china shop talking about a million dollars a coin and fiat going to zero and hyperinflation and like super hyperinflation, like US dollars worthless in three years. That's not the right way to do it. That's not the right, not in the beginning. Like not in the beginning. I, I, I think a lot of those statements just aren't true. Like they're not, even in the senses that they are true, they're presented incorrect. Do I think Bitcoin's going to go to a million dollars a coin at some point? Sure. Do I think that the value of the US dollar is going to debase extremely? Sure, I do. What's the time frame that happens in? How am I supposed to communicate that to another person? Do I know? Do I know? Not in a non-probabilistic sense. Do I think Bitcoin's at a million dollars by 2030? Sure. If I get someone hyped up that it's headed straight there and they better buy quickly or they're going to miss out on this explosive move up to a million dollars a coin, that's just not right. And it'll come off as distrustful. It'll, it'll come off as, as you're, not a, you're not a serious participant. It doesn't matter if you think that, if you honestly think that. It doesn't matter if you can make an argument for that. It doesn't matter if you think that the debt burdens more than people think and they're going to be forced to print and we're going to surprise to the upside and the ETFs getting approved and actually a million dollars a coin is like a reasonable price target. That's really not the relevant part because, again, this isn't about arguing content, arguing facts. This isn't about like intellectually positioning why you're correct. It's about communicating to a person. It's about communicating to a human being. And I'm telling you, the more extreme you make your pronouncements, the more exaggerated your demeanor, your phrasing, the average, do that across a thousand conversations and you will be less effective than somebody who didn't do that. It sounds like you're recommending people stay humble and stack set. Yes, exactly. Stay I humble. I don't care that... Twitter accounts built up big followings by pumping price predictions. It's still, it's not right. It, it's just cheap. It's refined sugar. It's the refined sugar of orange billing. I've talked with a few people and I've been guilty of it myself that have the scars to show of having yeah. done that in the past and gotten someone really excited and, and getting them wrecked. It's one thing to get strangers and, and anons wrecked on the internet. It's another thing if it's your business partner or your brother-in-law, yeah. or your friend's uncle, or that doesn't go. You can't just mute that account. No, um, and what's worse than, like, you've now put them off. That's somebody who would have benefited from Bitcoin, bought and held Bitcoin, that would have done the thing that you're trying to do, and instead you've turned them against it. They're literally less likely now because they had a bad experience. Like it's, it's like comparable to you're going to the gym, right? Like you're going to the gym because you want to build up your muscles. So you're going to go lift weights and you're going to go do this thing. Great. Like you do a right amount of stimuli and your muscles grow and get bigger and stronger. What happens if you do 25 sets in an hour with a weight you can't handle? Like your muscle gets smaller. You've overtaxed it. It is now 
in a recovery period for weeks. And it's worse than if you'd done nothing. And that's like when people go about it in this very extreme, exaggerated way, it can be worse than if you did nothing. I love that analogy. We need to think of ourselves as personal trainers, building people's Bitcoin muscles. Wonderful. What a, a great additional point. I'm so glad that you made it. Anything else you want to say before we close? No, that was it. I think great conversation. Loved having this chat and excited to see the Orange Pill Academy. Yeah, thank you. I learned a lot from it as well and can't wait to have you back again. Thank you, Stephen. Thus ends another episode of the Orange Pill Academy. What are some of your biggest takeaways? Which ideas will you be taking for a test drive in your next conversation? If you want to connect with Stephen, you can follow him on Twitter by searching for Stephen Lupka. His handle is Zambala Hoddle, but don't bother. Search for Stephen Lupka. Or check out swan.com slash private if you want to know more about his work. If you want to hear more conversations with the experts of Orange Pill Administration, I encourage you to follow us on Twitter at Orange Pill A. I'll soon be releasing a beta version of the Orange Pill Playbook on orangepillacademy.com, which you can use to bolster your orange pilling skills. Hopefully it's there by the time you're listening to this, but if not, check back soon, and I thank you in advance for your patience. Thank you for sharing your time and attention with the Orange Pill Academy. If you found this valuable, please subscribe to the podcast. Give us a five-star rating if you feel we've earned it, and tell your friends about us. Together, we can help Bitcoiners create more Bitcoiners and accelerate our journey toward a bright orange future. <laughs>